yourself been so lonesome chasing that morning chill oh little red bird open your mouth and say been so lonesome i just about flown away so long now i've been out in the rain and snow but winter's come and gone a little bird told me so hello and welcome to the how i healed podcast I am joined today by my co-host, Mary Lou Singleton, who is a family nurse practitioner, herbalist, and apprentice-trained home birth midwife. She has been caring for the health of New Mexican families for over 25 years. Mary Lou believes all healthcare modalities, from allopathic medicine to energy work and everything in between, have healing potential. That healing is always an individual journey to be supported by community, and that when it comes to healing, effectiveness is the measure of the truth. She is a critic of the pharmaceutical industry and the mainstream medical industry, which promotes drug dependence and chronic disease maintenance rather than healing. She believes healing is always possible and co-created the How I Healed podcast to share stories of healing, hope, and recovery. Thanks, Jocelyn. I'm Mary Lou, and I'm here with my lovely co-host, Jocelyn McDonald, who is an artist and storyteller. She is enlivened by the infinite potential of humans to heal and helps others walk this path through her art and music. Her healing practice focuses on making and finding meaning out of the crises and major choice points of our lives. She offers one-on-one support through coaching and archetypical astrology and tarot. She specializes in assisting with psychedelic integration and pharmaceutical cessation. Welcome back to the How I Healed podcast. Today, we are speaking with my dear friend, Allison Gray. She is a writer and musician who muses on magic, mysticism, metaphysics, and mental freedom. Born and raised in a dysfunctional church where her singing was exploited, but her questions were silenced, Allison has made an ongoing practice out of freeing her voice, which is also a practice of freeing her mind, body, and soul. And that is what we are going to be talking about today. So let's get into it. Allison, take us back to the beginning. How did you, um, yeah, how was your voice used? Well, okay. So when my mom was pregnant with me, her best friend took her to church and uh, she got saved is her way of expressing what happened. So she feels like I brought Jesus into her life like some she sees her pregnancy with me as being this mystical catalyst for her spiritual salvation and so um you know I guess to honor that experience she chose the pastor to be my godfather so he was actually there I think he was in the room when I was born if not just kind of in the waiting room to be one of the first people I was introduced to in this incarnation so the pressure was on from the beginning uh, he is a very charismatic individual which is why I feel comfortable uh, describing the church as cultic I won't straight up say it's a cult legal reasons. And also, you know, cults happen on a continuum. So I do recognize that I had more freedom than some other cults might have. But um, basically, he was very demanding, uh, would intimidate people and use the pulpit as a place to bully people. I mean, to the point of like, 
like if someone in the church was suspected of being gay, he would make it very obvious he was preaching his sermon at that person and just humiliate them. So that's the kind of person we're dealing with. So, um, you know, I had this like ominous force in my life from the beginning. And once they discovered I could sing at age five, which, by the way, was so innocent. I wrote a song one day about Jesus and showed it to my mom. And then I guess her first thought was like, oh, we've got to get you singing in church. Like, you've got a gift, whatever. So they put me to sing and I just got it over with because, I don't know, I wasn't thinking all that deeply about it. But then they wanted me to keep singing and keep singing and keep singing. And so I would push back and say, I don't want to. Like, I never meant for this to be a thing. So the first rift um, in my inner world around my voice happened when I said explicitly no to my mother and she told me go pray about it in like go to the bathroom and like close the door privately pray to God and ask him what you're supposed to do so I was like okay so I went to pray and I still felt like not doing it so I came out and was like God said I don't have to and she basically that was the first psychological game that that ever happened she basically said no god definitely wants you to do it like if you don't do it he's going to be really angry like you you basically don't have a choice and so for me that created this rift of like oh so everyone else knows what god wants and everyone else gets to talk to god but i don't and so that confusion was very early on embedded in me that it, when i said no it didn't mean anything and god wouldn't respect that so I had to, I felt like I had to keep singing. There was always this threat, this existential threat of like, if you don't do it, you're going to go to hell. You're going to face God's wrath. And it took me years to figure out why they were so intense on having me sing all the time. Um, I finally realized one day, wait a second, they have this bucket where people put money into during these fundraising events and stuff. And then I was like, oh, they're making money off of this. Like it was never explicitly said to me, but then you know, as I got older and and they would have me sing more and more, they also started having me shuttled around to like other churches in the tri-state area. So then they would be more open about it, almost like they got this like mischievous delight in telling me like, oh, you paid this church's bills off tonight. Like you made so much money. And so I was just this cash cow and this show pony for the church. And the entire time, the act of singing itself became this like physical trigger of when I'm up there, I'm just here to appease God and make him not mad at me anymore. And it wasn't for pleasure. It wasn't for joy. It wasn't for artistic expression. And it definitely wasn't because I wanted to. So um, that was like the beginning of my life. And of course, it it gets better from there. That's just to answer your question of like where we all started. How old were you at that time? So I was five when they had me start singing and I had to keep singing until I was 18 and I just left. I, it was the first time I could say no that it, in a way that now they legally couldn't physically force me to go to church anymore. I mean, there were times when I would try not to go to church and, and I don't want to paint my family in too bad of a light, but I was almost essentially physically dragged to church the one time I really said no. And so I, I was basically beaten into submission like I, I learned not to even bother rebelling anymore um because I mean it was all I knew the church was my world all of my fr friends were at church and I had to go every Sunday sometimes also every Friday also every Wednesday and it was just like my constant reality and so I didn't really know anything else was possible until much later in my life so what happened? You're 18. You decide, you you know, you're an adult now. You don't have to comply with 
with this maternal demand that you do this? What happened at that point? Oh, so um, I mentally checked out of the church at 16 because I was part of this summer camp uh, where it was like a gifted kids program. So you would go live on a college campus for three weeks for the summer, did that four years in a row. And the program was like, you choose a college level course to take. So you're still yourself in high school, but you're taking these advanced classes and you could take any topic you want. For my last year at the summer camp, I chose bioethics. And to start the course, we did like a crash course on philosophy. Now, I was raised in a church where you weren't allowed to ask questions. You weren't allowed to philosophize. They actually explicitly named philosophy as one of like the evil things you're not supposed to study. So um, this was my first time being introduced to even the possibility that I could question big things like God's existence. And so like within three minutes flat of our first conversation about God and whether God exists, I was an atheist. So I was just like, oh, now I can do whatever I want. I can think whatever I want. I felt so free. Um, so I started looking into like, you know, the forbidden religions I was always told not to look into, like Hinduism and, you know, Eastern thought and so when I left the church physically at 18, um, I just like committed way harder to what I thought of as like the opposite of my religious upbringing. And um, the then the other part of what happened when I left was that I, I left the church, but I also left singing. And this wasn't a conscious choice. I, I didn't I didn't I, I didn't have that self-awareness yet. I just stopped singing automatically like and. And it took me a while to like really reflect back on it and, and be like, oh, I guess because I didn't have to, I just didn't anymore. Um, but the downside of like saying no for the first time in your life is that it can feel so indulgent, you know, to finally be able to set a boundary that you get, you just keep saying no and no and no and no. And then the next thing I knew, it was like over a decade since I sang on stage. And so I never gave myself the chance to see what singing could feel like when it's on my terms. Um, I actually still haven't as of the uh, time that we're having this conversation. I've, I've done karaoke and, and I've put out music online, but I have not put my physical body on a physical stage since I left the church at age 18. You haven't you haven't sung on stage, but it's important for listeners of this podcast who don't know who you are to know that you are a professional musician now. So the whole story of healing your relationship with your voice culminates in you embracing your power as a musician to be self-expressed and to create hilariously very righteous right on spiritual spiritually focused music like I love when you're like I was an atheist as soon as I found out about philosophy because <laughs> wow have you come a long way since then now I'm like humans can fly I'm like god <laughs> that's all I think about all day every day <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah oh yeah I I do you know I I don't mean to discount the music I put out there digitally um I just see it as a step towards what my ultimate aspiration is which is to fully reclaim the stage as a physical space that belongs to me and not a place where I am subject to someone else's will but yeah part of that is like just reclaiming my voice in my own home like so uh when I left singing behind I got out of the habit of singing so I wasn't doing warm-ups all the time I wasn't rehearsing all the time and my voice atrophied so in that time that that you know over a decade 
time period of not singing, my voice actually started to sound really terrible. Like I went from just effortlessly singing super high notes, hitting the right notes the first time, every time, you know, just having that training to hitting flats and like my voice breaking and squeaking and frying and like all the the qualities of the voice that you don't want to have. And so it, it became this vicious cycle of like, well, the less I sing, the worse I sound and the worse I sound, the less I want to sing. So like, how do you get out of that except by actually confronting you know, the, the transformation of the voice and just saying, you know what, this is where my voice is at. Um, so, so I did eventually hit that point of like, I miss singing. I want to hear my voice. I want my voice back. So I would like kick my own ass to get in my studio and do warm ups every day and just like squawk my way through (laughs) warm ups every day. And it was so embarrassing, but ultimately I realized that that's, that's the worst that can happen is that I feel a little cringe oh no, like cringe. It's <laughs> like, it, it's, it's made me realize how much of our lives we limit ourselves from by just being afraid of the feeling of cringing or the feeling of being embarrassed. And that shouldn't be a reason you stop yourself from realizing your potential. Like embarrassment is temporary. And it, it's, it's just, it's a mental experience. It's not going to kill you, you know? Yeah. And so you sat there in your studio squawking. You also, you know, I we we had talked about when you first began and you're in like a silent room and just experiencing your own voice again, what was going through your somatic experience and through your mind as you sang and heard your own voice for the first time, realizing that you couldn't even stay on key with what you were attempting to sing? Oh, man. Um there's this vocal coach I love. Her name is Sarah Jelly and she names it as the shame spiral. So like a lot of singers, because perfectionism tends to go hand in hand with like professional arts endeavors, um, a lot of singers will have a moment, just a moment where maybe they hit a flat note or maybe they break a little bit. And that moment like triggers this full body experience of shame that's like, oh my God, now my hands are shaking. Now my throat is tightening up. Now my chest is tightening up. And now like, and it's again, another vicious cycle of like, well, the more you tense up, the worse your voice is going to sound. You have to actually allow the ugly sounds to come out and not judge them. And so there is, a, it, it truly is a spiritual practice to free the voice. It's, it's, you could think of it in purely physical terms as like, okay, well, if I open my soft palate and I breathe from my diaphragm, everything should be fine. Right. But there's the emotional element and that's what makes it an art form. You know, it involves the soul and and the development of the soul. So if your soul expresses some area of tension where you're constricting yourself and limiting yourself, your job as the artist and, and just as a spiritual seeker is to just like hear that for what it is like hear the tension and hear the pain in your body that's expressing itself and wanting to be let go of and meet it with compassion and that it was only when I started meeting my own atrophied voice with compassion that I started singing effortlessly again and um it's taught me that like the part of me that grew up being trained to sing to entertain people Um, got this erroneous idea in my head that my voice only existed to sound pretty and to make money. But I am learning a version of my voice that exists to tell the truth. And sometimes the truth is ugly. (laughs) 
Oh, oh. <laughs> I love it so much. Wow, that's so beautiful. <laughs> oh, wow. If you would, um, I would love it if you tell us about the process of going from being an atheist to being a spiritual seeker who thinks about God all the time. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, the atheism, like hardcore atheism lasted only like a year before I really deep dived into like Eastern mysticism. But I, for the longest time, thought of Eastern thoughts as like the opposite opposite of western thought or the opposite of christianity like i thought of christianity as this like dead patriarchal religion it just had nothing for me and i still feel that way about the institution of the church for sure mm -hmm. um no mercy i don't believe that they deserve my uh, compliments here um but i was i felt like i reached this point a few years ago where I knew that there was a spiritual dimension to life. I knew that like dreams meant something and archetypes meant something. And I knew that psychic powers are a thing that people have because I had had some experience with like little things here and there, like precognitive dreams or like moments of telepathy with loved ones and things like that. So I was, I had this weird like awareness that all this stuff is real, but this absolute fear like this gripping fear of fully embracing it all because I was so afraid of being perceived as crazy like I cared so much what people thought and that actually goes back to that rift I mentioned it from my childhood of like everyone else gets to connect with God except me so I was just inclined to be suspicious of any spiritual insight I had and like I was trained very young to see truth as only coming from outside authorities and if it comes from within you if like if you have a dream that's insightful or you have a an idea during meditation none of that's legitimate or valid until some holy man says it is and so um it once I realized I had that upper limit of like I'm not allowed to have my own thoughts about God and I'm not allowed to just be inspired and just be amazed on my own terms. It has to be through the filter given to me by the church. Once I realized that that was my limit, I was like, okay, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to embrace it fully. And if I mess up and if I come up with ideas that are bizarre or like contradict each other and realize I was wrong about something, I'll just admit I was wrong and change my mind and move on and like learn cognitive flexibility which i think is way more valuable than just rightness for rightness's sake and so um that you know once i fully open the floodgates to just let all the like mysticism come through me i feel like i just had this huge shift of like now i don't care if people think i'm crazy like i know what's true i know humans can fly i know we have psychic abilities i know this and that and um yeah so uh and then I eventually, came, there's my lucid dreaming app notification. I don't know if you heard it, but <laughs> whenever, it, whenever it goes off, I, I think I told you, Jocelyn, once that like whenever it goes off, I feel like whatever I was saying at that moment is really important. So I'll try to remember what I just said. Um, but yeah, I, I eventually actually even came back around to Christianity and realizing that there was such a beauty in like the message of Jesus in the gospels that the church just gets so wrong and pervert so badly and um like I even take it to the point of feeling that Jesus was an immortalist that he was trying to teach people how to live for 
forever in the flesh, not in the afterlife. And so again, these are like ideas that I could not have arrived at was if I was still living like under the tyranny of, of the oppressive church and like my pastor and stuff like that. So I now see the mysticism, even in Christianity that I didn't see before. And suddenly these like worlds of meaning and value and beauty are opening up to me that couldn't have opened up if I was still too afraid of what people thought of me and if they approved or not of, of what I know to be true in my body. Hello, how I healed listeners. This is Jocelyn. I'm popping in with a quick homegrown ad. So podcast co-host Mary Lou Singleton is offering a herb workshop and listeners to the how i healed podcast are not going to want to miss this one this is called herbs for psycho spiritual well-being are you bracing yourself for the next chapter of the human story feeling off center as the world rapidly changes around you does the new normal seem anything but normal to you come take a deep dive into how the plant world can help you find peace and balance We are all descended from people who lived through times of great change. Wherever your ancestors originated, they relied on plant medicine to stay healthy and centered. These same plants are available now to help navigate our crazy times. This beginner and advanced friendly class will empower you to know and use herbs for many physical and psychological conditions. Come gather medicine wisdom for yourself and your community. Taught by Mary Lou Singleton, herbalist, midwife, and family nurse practitioner, Mary Lou has been studying and practicing herbalism for over 30 years. To sign up for this course or to book an appointment with Mary Lou, please visit enchantedfamilymedicine.com. And you can also find that link right on our Substack or in the show notes, wherever you are streaming this podcast. Thanks. And let's get back to the show. As you're speaking, I'm just thinking about the perfect, the perfection of everything about your story and how it relates to your birth chart. Of course, I very familiar oh, yeah. with your birth chart being, <laughs> you're one of my close friends. And so um, I'm just hearing in your story, the tight conjunction of Neptune and Uranus opposing Mercury, the voice. And so the, the archetype here is that your freedom and your connection to the spiritual, the Godhead, is in opposition, is is, is in a fight um, with your voice. And this, you know, early life fight leads to eventually learning to work with these energies in such harmony that the idealization of the voice, Neptune is the ideal, Mercury is the voice, leads to your own personal freedom. Uranus. And so I'm just thinking about like the, the divine perfection of the the signature that you carry. And I want you to tell the story of your song, Pray Animal, because I think that it is such a, um, you know, it just really encapsulates this journey from, from um, the spirit to like accessing your birthright as a singer, as a musician. Mm, okay where do I start God has a plan for you and it's for you to be a divine musician that's what I'm trying to say (laughs) I feel that I feel that and and the thing is I have always known that and Mm. it was terrifying because I mean and I've known that 
on my own intuitive level, not just because the church like set me up to think my whole purpose was to sing, um, because to be totally fair here to the church congregation I grew up in, there were the people operating on my voice and making money from it. But then there were just the innocent members of the church who had nothing to do. Like they weren't the ones forcing me to sing. They were just kind of congregation. Like they, they were members of the congregation. So there were elders in the church who had the gift of prophecy and foresight into the future and things like that. And they would prophesy over me that they saw me traveling the world with my singing voice and saving souls and, and healing people with my voice. And they would like, they would like, it was so dramatic. They would like put their hands on my head and pray that into me and stuff. And I'm like six, seven. And when you're that young, how do you make sense of that? Like, how do you accept destiny being um, prophesied over you by these elders? Like, that's a lot. That's a heavy responsibility. So I just never knew what to do with that knowledge. And there were, there were other experiences. Like we had a guest pastor come in once. So he didn't know any of us. And in the middle of his uh, sermon, he stopped, he like caught eyes with me and then stopped what he was saying and just stared right at me. And I remember thinking he had the most striking eyes. Like I knew he could see things and he like interrupted his own sermon to say, there are children here with callings on their lives and with profound destinies. And like, I was sitting there like, oh my God, like what, again, what do I do with this? Right. So, you know, fast forward, left the church at 18, tried to leave all of that behind too, like the knowing that I'm here for something because that's, it was too much. And so I was in Seattle was at, I think at this point, four years ago. Wow. How time flies. And I was going through the worst breakup of my life ever. And I was like desperately trying to like pick my life back up, um, do things I love like astrology and, um, you know, really diving into mysticism, but something wasn't clicking. It was like, okay, I'm doing all the things. I'm having all the forbidden thoughts. You know, I'm free to think whatever I want. So why doesn't this feel good yet? Like I still feel so unfulfilled. And then this like light broke through and it was this huge epiphany that like, you know, you're supposed to be singing and you're not doing it. And you wonder why you don't feel alive. And like, I, this horror gripped me of like, oh my God, I have been given this gift of life and I'm not living it the way that I know I'm supposed to be. And I, when I say I fell to my knees, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. It, it happened automatically. Like I, my body just responded by surrendering fully and I fell to my knees and I started praying so hard and I had never, ever freely approached God like this before. Cause I thought I had given up on God. I thought I had like thrown God away. Like God is meaningless. God means nothing to me. But I started praying to, to whatever God is. And I was like, Hey, I need a second chance. I fucked up. I did not know I could fuck up this badly, but I am so far from what I know I'm supposed to be in this life. And I don't know how to even begin getting back on the right path. I need help. Like I need your help. And if you would be so merciful to give me another chance at my life, I promise I will not turn my back on it this time. Like, I promise I will pursue music because I know that's what you want me to do. And I prayed so hard. I went into like a trance state and I don't even remember what I said after a certain point. But when I came out of it, my nose was bleeding. I had prayed so hard that my nose started bleeding. And so if you watch my Pray Animal music video, you'll notice not only are the lyrics about being afraid to like accept one's own destiny, but also there's that image used in the video of a character's nose beginning to bleed and like running and running and running and running. And then finally at the end, accepting that there was never anything to run from.
So that's the story behind the music video. And ever since then, I have been pursuing music like like with tunnel vision. And and that's part of why I think I always ran from it, because now that I'm in it and I know viscerally how much it takes to do music full time, like and not just in a business sense, but spiritually it asks so much of me so much rapid deep healing and I don't even get sleep sometimes like I'll be going to sleep and like a melody will come to me and I cannot go to sleep until I go to my studio and record the melody so I don't lose it and then go back upstairs and go to sleep and it's it's like like it's intensive and it's like relentless the way that inspiration is always trying to come through me as this like channel of what I think of as God's art, I feel like I'm just the messenger of it, that it's not even really mine. And um, now that I know physically how much it takes out of me, or not takes out of, but you know what I mean, asks of me, um, I can see why I think on some level, I was always afraid of this, because it's, it's not for the faint of heart at all. Like, like to be a real artist in the sense that you're, you're alchemizing, your subconscious and bringing all of that stuff into the light of consciousness. That's the great work. That's the magic element of art. And so I'm on this like magical path of making music um, that it's, it's more than just putting melodies and rhythms together. It's, it's putting my soul back together, you know? <laughs> I love your reactions to things. I love your facial expressions. <laughs> I want to talk about ways in which this this long-term event, healing your relationship with God and healing your relationship with your voice has required you or has facilitated the healing of your throat chakra in general and other situations because I see the connection between opening your self-expression through music and becoming more honestly expressed in general. I mean, you you really nailed it when you said that you are now in service to the expression of truth with a capital T like of course you are Jupiterian <laughs> but tell us tell us more uh um so okay if you don't mind repeating your question like yeah the question I'll distill it down more directly and that is just that talk to us about other ways that the process of healing your voice has healed your throat chakra in general Ah, well, I have definitely experienced a transfiguration of the part of myself that wants to be compartmentalized. Like, um, so a big part of what stopped me from embracing mysticism, like I said earlier, was that fear of being perceived as crazy. So I would like secretly have spiritual thoughts and I'd secretly record my dreams and like think about archetypes and like, you know, all the spiritual woo-woo stuff. And then over here in my public, Public life I'd be a totally you would never ever ever know that I was into this stuff like hardcore so there was this huge divide in my psyche of like the acceptable side of me that I show to people and the side of me I hide because I'm ashamed and afraid and all of that and then there were smaller compartments too it's like um you know when I started writing under my pen name I hid it from most of the people in my life. It was like, over here, I'm Allison Gray and over here, I'm CJ. And like, and it was like, oh, only if you're cool people, I'll let you in on the fact that I'm Allison over here. And it's like, and then there came a point where way more people know me as Allison now. So I had to break that barrier of like attempting to protect certain sides of myself from judgment. 
and just accept that like I am a full multifaceted multidimensional human being if someone likes one side of me but not the other side first of all that's not my problem and second of all that's okay they're totally allowed to not accept every part of me but for me to preemptively try to control how I'm perceived is like so self-abusive and self-harming you know because I'm like stifling my own light and my own voice so um I have gotten to this point where like now everyone in my life knows I'm a writer I'm a musician I I don't really hide parts of myself the way I used to like automatically um and then I've also generally gotten better at just like speaking up for myself because a big part of my life was just feeling like I was everyone's punching bag and yeah like I, I grew up in not the greatest of family situations so I felt like I was just the outlet for everyone's aggression and just like discomfort and and unresolved unprocessed shit and um I used to be so okay with being put down like I expected it and so part of that even included like a really self-deprecating sense of humor like I used to just assume everyone wanted to say awful shit about me so I would like beat them to it you know what I mean like (laughs) like with jokes of my own and then you know that's just one of many symptoms of like self-loathing that went away as I started integrating all these different parts of myself and showing all of them love and allowing all of them to exist simultaneously it doesn't feel contradictory anymore it just feels nuanced like yeah sometimes I am super spiritual and woo-woo and other times I'm a raging bitch and I don't see a contradiction between those two anymore (laughs) I'm just so you know like everyone multifaceted so um, so yeah, as for like how the freeing of my voice has affected just throat chakra related things in my life in general, I would just say, I definitely speak up for myself now. Like if someone's disrespecting me, I just call them on the spot. Like, why are you talking to me that way? Like, <laughs> where did you get the idea you could talk to me that way? And then to put people on the spot in the moment that they're talking down to you to watch the just embarrassment on their face that they didn't even realize they were doing it. I find that so gratifying. It's like, yeah, yeah. Like become aware of this subconscious pattern. I want to hear your thought process. I want to see you become aware of this shadow of like wanting to dominate people. And it's not my problem if someone is insecure around me and wants to try to bring me down to like level the playing field, so to speak. Like, no, I'm going to shine as hard as I want to. And you're very welcome to join me. That's my whole thing. Like, I love cheerleading people and encouraging people. And like, when someone tells me they're good news, I'm like, just fuck yeah, like, I believe in you. And now my social circle is full of people like that, where we all are like supporting each other constantly. And it's so sincere because we can hold space for the totality of each other. Um, Whereas I would say the so-called friends I used to have in the past were only friends because I showed them those extremely limited curated versions of me. So how could they hold space for the totality of who I was if I wouldn't even do that? You know, so now I would say like my, my social life, I just have real genuine, sincere people in my close circle that are, there's just so much love between us all. And um, I can speak my truth now. And like, I mean, my friends don't agree with me on everything. Like we have different politics, different spiritual beliefs, but we love each other as, as human beings, like on a heart to heart level. And um, so that has not been the issue that I always used to think it would be. So 
yeah, there's more openness in, and more true expression in my life for sure. I, first of all, I just want to s- s- pause for a second and reflect that n- I've known you since like 2013 or 14. Mm-hmm. And I have seen exactly what you're talking about. I've seen you go through a major transformation in terms of being able to be so embodied in your truth that you stand up for yourself and you know your worth and you can say what what you want in a really more embodied way. It's so beautiful to hear how the how this process of personal evolution has braided in with freeing your voice because yeah I've seen it in so many other areas of your life and now to see you flourishing as a musician I mean you've got two albums out your first album was awesome your second album is awesomer like it is so it's like so much more mature your your music videos are so good not that you're actually I loved your first album's music videos too but I just really see that for you I see that you're not as compartmentalized and I see the way that you know, I would, I would characterize it as um, you used to present yourself as a materialist in mm-hmm. the spaces where you need to, needed to be taken seriously. And when you were writing as a radical feminist and like a vegan activist, then it all had to be like, look at all the, look at the objective argument here and, sh- and let me show you how the argument is defensible and can't be, you know, um, straw manned. But then there just came a point where you were just like, I'm, I'm actually delusional and fuck you if you're not, <laughs> like you're not, no, like, you're not no, I'm like source, I made it up <laughs> <laughs> source. It came to me in a dream. <laughs> it's just such a powerful like way of evolving because now you are still able to write about the things that matter most to you, whether it's in the form of song or essay and it's still just as politically coherent and lucid, but now it's expressing like the fullness of you, which is that the material and the non-material are wedded inseparably. The spirit realm is here and it's now. Our values of advocating for women's liberation or, or in service to humanity and against transhumanism are strengthened by our connection to the divine, not weakened by that. So I really love what you're saying about not compartmentalizing yourself anymore. And I really affirm that. I really see that for you. Thank Uh you. I I appreciate you witnessing this whole long journey. and, And I can say the same about you. I feel like we're always on this parallel wavelength of like, learning similar lessons at the same time. And and yeah, and now I'm sure you would agree with this. Just the very fact that I used to think truth had to be expressed on purely materialist physical terms was itself a denial of truth because who's to say truth would be something you can contain with like the laws of physics and and rationality. Um, I see now how much the truth is so far beyond human attempts to make sense of it with physical parameters like measurements and like scientific experiments like i actually i I wrote a whole article about how faith is a function and so people think paranormal is not real because they haven't seen proof of it yet but i'm always trying to tell them well the reason you haven't seen proof of it is because you already believe the proof doesn't exist and like even 
even people who think of themselves as open-minded when they you know when you present them with proof of something paranormal their first instinct is to say how do you know it wasn't a hallucination um blah 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 and it's like so just that inclination to assume that what they're witnessing is extraordinary and requires extraordinary evidence is in itself a revelation of their own inner limit of like what truth they're willing to perceive and accept um i have so many stories about like being the only person in a room who's like seeing something happening psychically right in front of us and i'm the only person in the room willing to accept what's being seen like one time i was um setting up an event in Brooklyn. And I went to the venue to talk with the venue owners about like the specs of the room and stuff. And so they, um, we were all standing around talking <laughs> and well, actually they left me for a little bit. And while I was there alone, I was just kind of walking around the room and the door to the backyard opened on its own. And I saw like in my clairvoyant vision, a man in like a baseball like jacket and with a baseball cap like walk into the room and like stand right in front of me and I was like oh okay so he I'm feeling like a bit of territorialness from this ghost right like so I, I just like reassured him like it's okay we're just doing an event and it's, it's about death actually it was an event called let's talk about death I kind of clued him in on what was going on and and then the two venue owners came back into the room and so as we're standing there talking, I said, uh, has anyone ever told you that your basement is haunted? And they said, yeah, but I've never really seen it for myself. And as he said that, the door started opening again. So I could see the man. I could see the ghost. And so I'm like, oh, OK, well, there he, there he is. Now you're seeing it. Now what do you think? And so then one of the guys was like, I don't know, that could have been the wind. But there was no wind. That there were trees outside that were not moving. Like, <laughs> like what wind? So, um, so he obviously was not willing to see what was right in front of him, which was the door open with no discernible cause. And so then the guy, the other guy, was like open to it. I could see him kind of like really looking and trying to understand what he was seeing and saying, you know what? I don't know. Maybe ghosts are real. Like he said that, and I was like so proud of him. Like, yes, you're this close access to the truth is contingent upon a willingness to simply see things as they are it it doesn't have to be all that fancy it doesn't have to be that dramatic like this search for truth like sometimes it's i mean not sometimes the truth is literally always right in front of you right there because it by its very nature i feel that the truth can't be hidden you can hide it from yourself um but no one can ever force you to be in ignorance and that's always a choice. And when you're when you're ready and willing to know something, you will know it. <laughs> and, and and then that clarity that comes, you know, you've earned it. Uh, but it's it, we always have the choice to perceive truth, always in all things. I'd like to circle back to that lucid dreaming app oh, yeah. because I noticed right when it went off that you had been talking about humans can fly, and yeah. that's the third time I've heard that. That phrase while we've been interviewing you and I want to know about that I want to know about how humans can fly because I'm interested in in that oh yeah oh, well thank you for being the one to circle back to that because at the moment I couldn't remember what I had just said when the sound went off so thank you um so yeah I my whole tagline with my music well first of all the band name is when humans had wings uh because I'm very fascinated with human flight 
literally as an actual thing humans can do i believe we all have the spiritual potential to break the laws of physics in every imaginable way um, i believe humans can see into the future into the past psychically i believe we can see into the spirit realms you know like perceiving ghosts and auras and things like that um i believe that we can literally move mountains like with telekinesis not as a metaphor for like overcoming difficulties in life but actually changing our physical world with mind over matter and so i believe by extension we can fly um so in my music video for pleroma you'll see some footage of like people levitating and things like that um i adore the like the process of realizing spiritual potential and to know that like I see flight like human flight as the ultimate um metaphor and literal manifestation of freedom mm -hmm. because it's it's when you become so free that even the laws of physics can't bind you like you no longer participate in this sense that you're um bound to some imaginary rules that scientists made up about how the universe works right and so it's like a total fuck you to all the authorities we've ever been taught to submit to all our lives and so yeah flight is just so beautiful to me I love to ponder flight a lot um and I wouldn't say I'm personally like seriously pursuing flight for flight's sake I just see myself as pursuing freedom. And if I one day end up being able to physically fly as a result of that, cool. But um, I'm, I just want to be free, whatever that means. And um, so my main focus on freedom has been involving my voice and the freeing of, of expression of truth. And so, um, but yeah, the humans can fly thing. Um, my, I keep, reminding people like you're so free you can even choose not to believe in your own highest potential mm -hmm. like if someone hears me say humans can fly and they don't believe me that's okay like you're free to not believe me and that that's the beauty of freedom like you it doesn't hurt me when someone else exercises their freedom to choose what they perceive and so um the great thing about flight is that if you take it to be literally true that humans can fly you unlock certain um truths about yourself and about humanity and then if you choose to see it as a metaphor you still unlock certain truths and and knowledge and it's there's just so much value in it as a conversation piece that whether it's literal or, or metaphorical either way it's such a valuable um contemplation uh so that's kind of why i'm obsessed with it <laughs> i think that's beautiful and i think it ties into what you said about realizing dreams were important and that, that archetypes were important. And I can't help but think about what I've, what I know about lucid dreaming is that when people are trying to lucid dream, most people say what they're trying to do is fly. Like that's mm -hmm. the number one goal of lucid dreaming. If, if you do a survey of a hundred people trying to practice that. And many of us fly in our dreams as children really frequently and then lose the ability to even fly in our dreams. And I would love to hear your thoughts on that human phenomenon of losing the ability to fly in the dream world and any advice you have on regaining that. Oh, I love that you made that connection. Uh, yeah, because I do think flight and just the knowledge that we have certain spiritual capabilities is something that all children know instinctually is part of us. And um, children are just so wise in a lot of ways, but one of the ways is they live in their imaginations. Like you, they have to be adulterated. Like they have to mm. be told that limits exist 
And it's so weird to them. Like if you see a child responding to like a child will just like fully embrace the role playing of like Batman. Right. And then like when the adult steps in and says, okay, you know, you're not actually Batman. Like, it's like, they're so confused by that. Like, cause their imagination takes precedence. And um, I have always secretly thought to myself, well, not so secretly. Um, I, I have this like, <laughs> little theory that I, I'll never be able to test because I don't think there's an ethical way to test this. But um, I just choose to believe that if a child was allowed to keep that imagination until they hit puberty, and I, I see puberty as the age at which you gain your creative manifestation powers because you become sexually initiated and sexual power is creative power. I think if children were allowed to just believe in their own spiritual power leading up to puberty and then hit puberty, they I think we'd have a, a generation of fully psychic humans. Like, I, I think they would just be like, okay, I've always known it was true, but now that I have my own creative agency through the sexual energy that is now in my body, I can actually do these things, right? I can actually create this supernatural life. Um, so I think it, there's, wow, there's so much I could say actually just on that alone, like the attack on sexuality as an attack on life itself and the perversion of our idea of eroticism and how we're taught to turn against our own sexual power as if it's intrinsically dirty or wrong, but actually it is, I mean, sex is life. And when you're cut off from your sexuality and your sexual expression, you are cut off from life itself. And so um, there's, yeah, there, there's a lot that goes into that. I That's, I think, a bigger conversation than I can manage right now. Um, but to go back to the lucid dreaming thing, um, I do see dreams as our subconscious really intensely trying to communicate with us because the self longs for wholeness and completeness and, and the great work, you know, which is what it, like in magic the great work is the metaphor for the like return to wholeness and the the reunification with god um and the the removal of all separation from god uh that is what is happening like the great work it, your subconscious is trying to initiate that process that alchemical process when it gives you dreams because the subconscious speaks through symbols it's a totally pre-verbal space like it's pre-language so children, before they learn language, they, they're basically fully in their subconscious mind in that theta wave state. So they, before they have words, they have symbols. And that's why this is so uh, universal for us as humans, you know, this symbolic language of dreams. So uh, when something is in the subconscious that hasn't been dealt with, it will try to come through to the conscious mind through that, that symbolic language, which is the first language. And so, um, the fact that so often people dream of flying means that's a part of our own souls we buried collectively. And it's trying so hard to be reintegrated, like so hard. And um, I actually, since embracing human flight as a real legitimate possibility um, and a real phenomenon that does actually happen, I have actually begun to have dreams where I am receiving flying lessons from my higher self. So my higher self teaches me like the actual basics of how to fly. So there was one dream where um, I was floating upward. I just felt myself floating um, and I was in this big city. So there were these like skyscrapers and I'm casually like passing all the floors of this skyscraper, just floating up and up and up. And then at some point it crossed my mind very briefly that I could fall. 
And if I fell from this height, I would definitely die. So it, it only took a split second. But the moment I had that thought, I started to dip in the air. So I immediately like this instinct took over that was like, okay, well, just imagine yourself going up again, you don't have to follow that thought down to the ground. Right. So I just chose to have thoughts of flying again. And I started lifting up again. So that right there, that was the lesson for me that um, your thoughts work that quickly. Like the fact that thoughts do contribute to your experience of reality. I was being shown how fast a thought can become a manifest experience. And so I was able to turn it around by choosing, you know, exercising some discipline over my mind and saying, no, it's tempting to imagine the drama of me falling from the sky, but I'm not going to choose that this time. I'm going to choose to see what happens if I keep going up. So I went up and I, I reached the rooftop of a building where there was this like party happening. But I guess in the dream, I knew who these people were. So I landed on the rooftop and I was like, oh my God, you guys, I flew here. And then one of the guys like kind of looked at me, it's sort of like, off the cuff was like, oh, okay, cool. And then he went back to his conversation. And I was like, guys, no, I, I, I flew here. And I think in the dream, I was thinking, does he think I just mean I took a plane or like I used a jetpack or something? Why is he not reacting with amazement right now? Because this is the coolest thing I've ever done. So then they continued to just like not give a shit. And in the dream, I was so frustrated. I was like, guys, I flew. How do you not care that I flew? And then um, that stayed with me. And then the next time I had a dream about flying, I was explicitly told by my higher self, you won't get to fly until you're comfortable not being seen flying. And it, yeah, chills when I think of it, because because one of the biggest things that mystics have to deal with is everyone doubting. Like you could perform a miraculous healing right in front of someone and they won't believe it happened. Like they'll come up with all these elaborate high like arguments for what actually happened. Like, oh, it was just the placebo effect or, oh, it was just a coincidence. And like, there's, you know, all these like ways they limit their own perception of like what the mir miracles happening right in front of them. And I was being taught in that dream that, yeah, it kind of sucks, but you won't actually get to fly, like physically fly, fly until you completely give up giving a shit about whether or not people believe you can fly or not, because it's not for them, it's for you. And I was like, oh, <laughs> that hurts my ego, but okay. Like, <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's what I know about dreams in relation to flight. I'm reminded because, um, and I think I've mentioned this in the episode that I did about my own healing journey, but I was actually at your house on January 1st, December 31st, um, 2021, getting into yeah. January 1st, 2022. And, you know, we've been uh, synchronomistic friends for a long time. I think that in many ways, my belief in God has opened up and become so much stronger in the mirror of your willingness to accept all that my spirituality is and to not be totally freaked out that the, about the things I believe in and, and vice versa. Cause you know, I don't, I don't have any interest in flying, but I totally believe you that you're going to, but, <laughs> <Not> um, <laughs> but you know, I was just thinking about the time that we were, we were in deep study of existential kink together. And we were talking about exactly this topic, this solve and coagula of, of like dissolving the, um, 
using myth and mysticism to understand that the things that happen in our lives are created by us. And when we can tell the story of them as created by us and with God, then we can be reunited in our quest to join God, um, like on a karmic level. Anyway, that was the, that was the, the day that I made a promise that that new year's was the exact day that I made a promise to get off drugs, um, and to accept my arthritis and to stop pushing it away and to stop, you know, imagining that I should fix it and instead just be with it, which is how you described healing your voice, you know, to, to just be with the ugliness of your voice and let it sound like a croak and (laughs) croak it out. (laughs) And um, anyway, so I'm just thinking about like the ways in which being each other's mirror has personally offered me so much healing. And I'm wondering if you would speculate on ways in which healing your voice has offered healing, whether in the material realm or in the karmic realm to your, to your, to your lineage or to your greater community, like all the lives that you've touched by healing your voice, especially within your family constellation or in your lineage. Wow, that's a big question. Um, because my parents are artists. I I consider them artists in that they're very creatively inclined. Like my dad was in a band when he was in college, and he played the bass, and he has a beautiful voice. But he stopped making music because of a mental health crisis he was going through in college that he doesn't talk about. Um, he we just know that it happened, but we don't know what happened. So um, all I know is he just like dropped music after that and stopped, you know, just went into like the typical corporate nine to five life of just security and and predictability. Um, And uh, then my mom, she's a florist and she her gift is decorating spaces. So like she's big on like event decoration and, and she like she can take any room and make it look really regal using like stuff she found at the thrift shop. Like that's her gift. I don't know how she does it, um, but she does it. And so she had a flower shop that she was um, running for 21 years, I think, but it just never was profitable for her. I attributed to her being in the wrong place because Mount Vernon, where we grew up, was not, um, it was so stifling for artists. It, it, we didn't even have an arts program in our, our high school. Like we just had sports because because racism, you know, it was just like predominantly black, the area. And so the the expectation, they were not even subtle about it. It was just like, oh, you guys are a bunch of black kids, like you're supposed to play basketball. And that's your one ticket out of poverty. You know what I mean? So um, there was really no uh, opportunities to develop ourselves in a well-rounded way. And so, um, so there's like my community at large. And then there's my family line where um, I don't know as much about my uh, grandparents and great grandparents and their relationship with art, but I do know my family um, is very musical, and I am the only one actively, overtly pursuing music um, as a full-time means of supporting myself. So uh, I know that it, I've come up against some weird power dynamics with my parents as it relates to my music, like in theory they support me and it's not like they're trying to make me not be a musician it's more that i i see how my going for it 
kind of like highlights their insecurities about the things they didn't go for. And Trigger. I feel that that, yeah, they, oh, that, that is exactly the word. They seem so triggered by me. Um, and it's like, I know on the one hand, they don't consciously mean it, but I think subconsciously they are very threatened um, by like the fact that I'm so serious about pursuing music. Like I'm not giving up on it. And um, yeah, it. so it's weird being the one who's like the pattern breaker in the family because it it just feels you know it just feels like why me like why can't I just relax in this life like why do I have to like you know face all these triggers and be the one who processes all these emotions that were never felt and blah, like I, I could just uh, I could very easily sit around and complain about it I, I I feel tempted to do that every single day but um instead I'm I'm realizing like I can either choose to see it as a burden or as a privilege, you know, to express everything that was never expressed in my family line, like all the art, all the art in my whole ancestry, like, oh my God, I, I can only begin to imagine the genius that just never found its channel until now. And um, believe it or not, it was Alex Jones who said this, like he said it this way and it stayed with me. He said, um, you are the dream of your ancestors. And I think that's so beautiful. Like, like you literally are the incarnation of their hope for the future. And the fact that maybe they didn't realize their dreams while they were incarnated, but they had children, which means on some level, they still knew there was unfinished business. They still knew there was more here and that more deserves to, to be realized and um, experienced. And so it's, it's a gift to even be alive, you know, to have been born at all. So, um, so yeah, it's, the the facing of uh family limits is it's been so hard like I'm the only double water sign in my extended family everyone's like fire and air and I'm just the one crybaby who like feels everything I have to feel for everyone and it's so annoying (laughs) I just I just don't want to feel sometimes but but that's where the art comes from also so I guess it's like uh what what is the phrase I'm looking for? Like you give a little, or, you know what I'm saying? Like you, it's like, it comes with the the territory. Like you, I can't have this art unless I'm willing to feel. And so, yeah, I have to feel all of it, not just the good stuff, sometimes the bad stuff. Yeah, you are really watery, but let's not forget that your North Node is conjunct your Ascendant and Sagittarius at one, what, one degree or... Oh no, it's eleven. You know, maybe, still, nevertheless. Oh, yeah, I. Oh my God, yeah. Very fiery. If not for the fire, if not for the fire, I would have drowned in my own sadness a long time ago. Oh, <laughs> I keep going out of spite. <laughs> and now that I'm the one making the music, um, I find that that I won't say people don't try to, but um. Now I'm the one speaking and making the art and I get to tell my story and I'm not just a muse. I'm, and I'm also like, I'm not a muse and I'm not the artist, I'm the art itself. And that has been my graduation in consciousness. Yeah, like to realize I am my magnum opus. I'm not just making the art. I'm the one being made through the process of the creation. And it's, yeah, yeah. That's the healing. That's the healing. That's the healing. (laughs) It all comes back. Yes, full circle, Mandela. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. Oh, it's so delightful to talk to you. After all these years, I just am so thrilled to be 
I, I hope to someday be in an actual share physical space with you and, and uh -huh. hug you and sit and talk with you and oh, be in yes. the same room. <laughs> Cool. Okay. Well, Jocelyn, are we, are we complete? Yeah, I think we are complete. And with that, let me just remind our listeners that if you enjoyed this podcast, please like share subscribe on Substack as a free or paid subscriber. Your support means the world to us. And it really helps with the hours of editing to stay motivated and working to find new guests each week. So thank you so much for your support and your feedback. If you'd like to let us know your thoughts on this or any other episodes, please get in touch. You can reach us at howihealedpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Instagram at howihealedpodcast, Facebook, Twitter, slash X, you know, all the usual spots. We're out there. We're doing the thing. So thanks for listening. <laughs>